Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bow Hunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth brings you quality clothing and packs at a price you deserve. Check them out at huntworthgear.com. So, if you're following along with social media, um, I got to use all my Huntworth gear this uh, weekend finally uh, to do a turkey hunt, kill the turkey, and it, it was awesome monkeys off my back but uh, i got to actually get out and hunt with the huntworth gear and that was great i've uh really been enjoying all their stuff um this quarter through our quarterly giveaways they're going to be giving away um a rain gear set so rain gear is one of those things where everybody needs it they don't ever want to spend the money um the huntworth stuff isn't terribly expensive compared to a lot of the stuff out there it's really robust i think it's a great uh product i I wore it when we were in ohio you know when i was talking to the guys at huntworth they were they really downplayed it they said you know it's not you don't you couldn't take it to alaska um and i think for most people um that's not what we're looking for we're just looking for something that will let us hunt longer or those 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 days where it's like a light drizzle but you know you need to be out there um and i think this is perfect gear for that so they're giving away a set of their rain gear and then one of their day packs day pack i used in ohio scouting i use it for trail cameras um carry a it's got the external straps you can carry the um uh, i carry a climbing stick with me and uh great great package that they're giving away for this quarter um, through our Patreon giveaway, and just a big shout out thanks to Huntworth. We're into quarter two now, so um, for you guys that don't know, Patreon is a uh, crowdfunding 
uh, for creators. It really helps us to be able to to do a lot of stuff like our Total Archery Challenge cookout that we've got coming up. And there's some big things coming with that, um, some announcements coming up here pretty soon. We're just finalizing some of that. Um, so that's going to be pretty exciting. Very excited for that. But um, So we do quarterly giveaways, but with our our partners our sponsors um you know we ask that's part of what we do is to make sure that we give back to the the patrons the guys that support us and uh our latest patreon is awesome um brian keeft um he's uh out of uh, muskegon here he has a uh, company that makes outdoor gear um his jawbone he's got a saddle suspension system um and a <laughs> his jawbone bow hanger um that yeah, the suspenders also go into a, a bow hanger a gear hanger gear strap public land safe um super awesome uh got to meet him last summer at austin's genesis 3d printings thing and uh i didn't realize that he was out of muskegon i saw his products and i was like oh man that's that's pretty awesome been doing it for quite some time um so uh, check them out i believe it's bks outdoors um look that up right now but anyways yeah bk outdoors um so check out brian's stuff can't thank him enough and he's entered in for our giveaways and our giveaways for quarter two are going to be phenomenal so we've already said what we've got from huntworth uh we said once we got to a certain number of patreons we were going to work with our friends at bowhunter planet to do um a bow giveaway you know they get a bunch of bows uh to test they shoot them in their lab but they can't possibly shoot all of them they can't hunt with all of them um so i've got a a gearhead uh t24 and uh you know if you haven't checked out a gearhead that's another thing where people want to they see them they don't want to spend the money they want to check them out um so i thought it'd be fun to give one of those away so through our friends at bowhunter planet uh we're going to be giving away one of those um you know, we're partnered with Spartan Forge. So Spartan Forge has a huge update coming. Um, I've talked with Bill. We talked at ATA about, uh, you know, how they're rolling out different stuff. Their pro staff is amazing. Garrett Prawl, uh, Taylor Chamberlain, Levi Morgan, uh, you know, Greg Litzinger, Johnny Stewart. Uh, the list goes on and on. Jake Bush, you know, all guys that we've had, you know, a lot of them on the show. And, uh, you know, they're testing this. Andy May. They're, they're testing this out there in the field to make sure that it's the best that it can be for predicting deer behavior, uh, where they're going to be, how it's going to be. And this is military-grade uh, algorithm for movement of bad guys, and they're just applying it to deer. Um, and the imagery, yeah, they're increasing the imagery, is just incredible stuff. So they're using that as well. Um we're working with lucky buck. So lucky buck, I've got some of that up in the UP sent some down to, to Ohio and, um, you know, lucky buck has been, you know, they've got the number two, uh, typical deer, uh, in North America right now, I believe, um, that buck out of Ohio or uh, I'm sorry, Indiana, that's a lucky buck deer. And uh, if you can run mineral, you, you know, check them out at luckybuck.com and we're giving away uh, so they also do seed so for us in michigan we can't do too much uh, mineral unless you're in the up which fortunately we've got some property up there um, but they do have some food plot seeds like clover and chicory um, and we're going to be planting some of that so you can take your pick uh, on that stuff and then after last week's podcast with 
um, ARD. So the adjustable red dot site, the response was phenomenal on that. And, and guys saying, Hey, I heard about that. That sounds like a great idea. Uh, great for kids. Um, and you know, older guys are reaching out to us saying, Hey, what was the story on that? Do you guys, um, you know, what, what do you really think about it? And it's, it's a super cool product. Like, like I say, I was super skeptical, but we're going to be working with those. We're working on getting Uncle Frank, one of those. Um, my dad's already reached out to me and said, Hey, I think we need to, I think we need to get me one of those because for that low light shooting for, for that, um, you know, trying to figure out the peep site, all those different things. Um, it's just one of those things where it takes all of that out of the equation, especially if you've got, you know, maybe some aging eyes. Um, so out of the box thinking, uh, but adjustable red dot, you know, a great product as well. And then this podcast right now with Redline, um, they've said they're going to give away one of their site packages. So they're going to give away a site, a quiver, and uh, a stabilizer. So we've just got a ton of stuff to give back to you guys. And, you know, if I could give back more, I would. Um, I'm, I'm working on, you know, as much stuff as I can because we really, truly appreciate the support and being able to do this. And, um, you know, we can't thank you guys enough. Um, I think you guys are really going to like this podcast. Eric Young, you know, he just, we, we talk a lot about, um, you know, the heritage, the people behind Redline. And uh, we, we talk about the products very little, uh, very little at the end. Uh, but Eric killed a 200-inch buck, and uh, his, his story is pretty interesting, just bought his farm. But what that buck means to him, or, or maybe doesn't mean to him, I think is the real telling uh, portion of this story. Because I think there's a lot of people that would kill that buck, and it, it would you know, kind of, they would try to elevate themselves to something or they would, it would change the way that they viewed their property. Um, and you don't get any of that. So I think you're, you're really going to appreciate this podcast. You know, if you guys want uh, to get in on any of those giveaways or support any of our partners, you know, check out our webpage, uh, com or, uh, you know, click the Patreon link in our uh, Instagram, uh, any of that. But if that's not for you, um, you know, tell somebody about the podcast, let them know. And, uh, we hope to see you up at the Toll Archer challenge, uh, crystal mountain this year in, in Michigan. We're going to be up there a uh, big cookout, be looking for some information on that, but for everybody again, as always, thanks for listening. All right, everybody, Adam back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And today we're talking with Eric Young from Redline. And I got to tell you what, so there's podcasts that I've chased down a, a little bit. And, uh, I didn't know, maybe you guys don't either. Uh, I didn't know anything really about Redline. I got a little bit of wind of it at, uh, ATA and I, um, so, uh, Sean with Trophy Line had introduced me to, uh, one of their guys on the marketing team, Weston, and I, you know, did some figuring out that, uh, he's also working with Redline and he says, Eric Young is the guy that you need to talk to. Well, it turns out Eric Young is like the most difficult person to actually nail down. And it's not because he's like big timing me or anything. It was like, this guy is hunting. He's got this giant deer that he's got to take around and show off. And he's in this, this storm of, you know, publicity and all these things because of this deer. And, uh, then he's turkey hunting and all this stuff. He's on somewhere where there's no service. Um, so that gets into like a little bit of who the guys are at Redline. But, uh, Eric, is that a fair summary of uh, how this has yeah. come to fruition? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, shoot, we've been trying to get on 
get on the uh, podcast here for what probably since beginning of March, I think so. Like just after show season yep. for us. So yep. uh, we wrapped up coming out of a great show season for, for the brand and everything. And uh, it's just been one, one thing after another, you know, with a startup brand, it's pretty crazy. You're just, you're, we're cranking and in our, you know, I, I'm finally getting to take a breath and it seems like we're just getting into Turkey season and it's back on the road again. And, and that was the issue with the last two times we've tried to meet up is, we had a Florida hunt that we were on uh, for Osceola's and then straight out to Kansas, late season Osceola and then out to Kansas. And it, it's just been, it's just been wide open for us uh, since we kind of launched this thing. And then we got our day jobs, which is even worse. You know, we get the hunt for about two and a half, three hours in the morning, and then it's sit down and get to the spreadsheets and, and talking with the factories and making sure everything's shipping. I mean, I'm sure uh, the world out there watches the news and stuff, but uh, shipping is a major issue right now and, and just getting product uh, out to dealers and stuff for us and, and, and getting getting our stuff stateside has been a, a little bit of a challenge. But the nice thing is, is uh, we're, we're cranking and uh, doing the best we can, man. It's 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 been a really cool experience to start a company that started less than 18 months ago. It's just been awesome where we're at. I mean, we're already, like I said, uh, it, you know, out in, I think a hundred and or 170 dealers now with, uh, we're shipping about 50 this week. So we're going to be way over 200, uh, by the time this thing airs, which is incredible nationwide for a startup company. So. Sure. Sure. So a little bit of background on you, what is your like uh, hunting history? So like, where, where are you from and like, how did you get into hunting and then how did that end up being, you know, quote unquote, your day job? Yeah, pretty interesting uh, fact. So you you mentioned uh, Sean Ferguson at Trophy Line, and I'm sure you know him. You know, you guys uh, associated with those guys, but uh, he actually sold my dad. My dad was his high school teacher, uh, and Sean had been working at uh, a behind the counter at Dick's Sporting Goods, and he sold my dad my first bow when I was 12 years old. So I got it for Christmas, and of course he sold him a 70 pound Hoyt uh, <laughs> back in the day, and I'm like this little string bean, I can't pull anything back. And I remember Christmas day wanting to pull it back and I couldn't even budge that thing about two inches. It wouldn't go anywhere. And, uh, we had to go up and it's pretty neat. I get the, I get to kind of work. They're a sister company of ours trophy line. Uh, so we, we get to work hand in hand together, but, uh, it's a long, big convoluted story on how, you know, Ferg sold me my first bow and then he ended up being a buyer for, for obviously Dick sporting goods, a uh, big box chain. And, and I, I spent some time there because I'm from the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area, but grown up, you know, hunting heritage, hunting family. I mean, PA, you think about, it, we got called the orange army. We got, you know, 800,000 guys, uh, on uh, opening day, a rifle that, you know, if we wanted to walk, walk anywhere or cause any problems, I think we're the third largest standing army in the world on that opening day of deer season in PA. So, uh, kind of grew up uh, within that and got lucky, did some buying uh, for about a decade for, for obviously uh, big sporting goods and uh, big box uh, chain doing archery and out, you know, the hunt side of the business and worked for the largest fishing apparel brand in the U S and then uh, they own a small hunting apparel brand. So I'm sure you can figure that out uh, for a little bit as a key accounts manager. And Ferg gave me a call and, and uh, some of the investors that we deal with and, probably the best decision or is the best decision I ever made in my life. Cause it's been a blast uh, kind of coming out with this brand. And like I said, 18 months, it's just been nuts. Like we've been, it feels like two weeks, but it's been a really cool 
awesome experience just the from start you know inception of sitting in a room talking to guys about what we're going to do to launching a full accessory line of products at ata this year was nothing short of amazing and now the cool thing is we're seeing it in the field which guys are killing turkeys with them guys are shooting and posting stuff on social media and it's it just honestly every day gets better and better and bigger and bigger so so we're we're wide open, as they say in, in uh, NASCAR right now, it's just pedal to the metal and get it, you know? So prior to being, getting that bow when you were 12, had you hunted before or what? I mean, what, what was your dad in in hunting? Yeah. My dad, uh, my grandfather, everybody, my, my brothers, that's kind of how I got, uh, into it. And it was, I was obviously the little kids, they get to see in PA, you see the guys go off the deer camp and they spend a week up in camp. And, uh, I remember being, you know, six, seven years old and watching my two older brothers go off with my dad and grandfather and uh, my dad's buddies and stuff. And I just be furious. Like I never, never get to go. And my dad's like, Hey, when you're 12, you're 12, you get to come to camp when you're 12. And then I realized uh, why I wasn't allowed in camp (laughs) (laughs) to go up there. You know, it's pretty cool to, you know, playing cards and those guys are drinking beers and having a good time. And and it was more about the camaraderie uh, of hunting than it was about, going out and killing something. And that's, that's something I still, you know, I'm very, you know, I believe in it's more about the people you're with and just being outdoors. It's not about killing something every time you go out. That's just the way my old man raised me. But obviously my first hunt was like many people was turkey hunting. That's, that's my, my passion uh, in life is I love whitetail hunting. I'll sit in a tree stand over the rut and everything. And that's, I love to do it. But if I could pick one animal to hunt every day in my life, it would be turkeys. I mean, it's just, soon as I heard that first, that first bird go, uh, when I was shoot, my dad took me out when I was uh, nine years old with my brothers, it was over from then on. It was just kind of just hooked on it and just trying every time they went, I want to go. Obviously we grew up small game hunting, stuff like that too here, rabbit and, uh, some pheasant grouse and stuff like that. But, uh, mainly, mainly whitetail and turkeys was, was how I cut my teeth on. So been pretty fun. Interestingly enough, I, I think about this often that whole deer camp camaraderie thing. And, and we're in Michigan and PA, Same type deal. <laughs> yes, very, very similar. <laughs> right. And PA, you know, everything that you described is kind of like what I grew up with as well. We've got a big camp, big track of land up in the UP. You know, my grandfather got, or my great grandfather rather got a, a 40 acres in a farmhouse for a $50 bad check back in the depression. And we had that forever. A guy from South Carolina, same deal, got 200 around us. Well, we were the caretakers of that land up until he died. And then his kids came in, logged it off. And then my family was fortunate enough to buy it. So we've got 240 acres up there. It's seven hours to drive. But it was the same thing as a kid. You'd go up there and, you know, the first time I went up there, there was kerosene lights. And, you know, still, it's still, we've got wood heat and, power and satellite tv and things but we still have an outhouse we do have water now but same thing but i did a a spike camp with my dad and some of his buddies and some guys that we'd grown up around out uh, in colorado this year and it was a rifle camp and as much as i love bow hunting and we're you know we move towards this and red line is kind of along with that with the lighter kind of faster mobile type gear it kind of ends up being like a solo endeavor 
or there's less guys that want to go so deep into the swamp and all that. And that really reignited that fire in me about the, the actual deer camp and that camaraderie. And because, you know, when you're out there on the side of a mountain, even in a wall tent with just a fire or kerosene, uh, and you got nothing but the stars and time to bullshit and maybe drink some whiskey if you brought it, um, you know, so how do you feel like, do you still have that same camp, that same atmosphere or has the, the pursuit of big deer and mobile hunting and everything kind of, you know, you've gotten away from that. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, no way. Like I, I try to make an effort to get back, you know, for camp. Unfortunately, it's a lot of times it's in my past life, it, we weren't allowed to be out of the office. You know, it was during that Black Friday timeframe, uh, you know, for retail. So we're in there running reports and everything. But uh, I, you know, I make a, a big effort to get out and, and hang out with my dad, brothers, and, and those guys up at our deer camp. And we've always been, you know, where I grew up hunting was all public land. It was it was state forest, uh, Forbes State Forest in Pennsylvania here, where it's, you know, you got 25,000 acres of just straight big woods. And, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting when you're, you're hunting that kind of terrain, uh, obviously with my dad taking us up there and me growing up in it, you know, where to go and you know, where not to go, just kind of hunting benches and pinch points where these deer are getting basically chased, you know, guys do the deer drives and stuff. It's PA it's opening day of deer season, but, uh, no, I, I appreciate that. Like, that's my. I love deer camp. You know, that's why I still, you know, that's why I like hunting. It's being around people. It's getting new people into the sport. Um, I had a couple of buddies. We, we, uh, last week we took, uh, three youth hunters. My nephew went on his first turkey hunt. We took my buddy, uh, Jimmy Ren, his son. And then, uh, 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 one of our, uh, investors Jay. we took his grandson on a hunt and it was the coolest thing ever because we had no pressure watching the little you know eight-year-olds and seven-year-olds sit there and not be able to sleep at night worrying about hearing a gobbler killing something in the morning it was pretty interesting like i can remember being there as a kid and now i'm sitting back doing what you were just saying drinking beer by the fire putting them to bed early and we're hanging out kind of being the old timers and it's it's the kind of reversing roles a little bit and uh it's it's definitely something that i you know, when it comes to hunting, that's what I enjoy about it. Yes. Do I love, I get a big deer on camera. I'm going to shut it down and go, go hunt and, and really not talk to anybody and get cell cams up and, and dive in on it. But, uh, the, the camp atmosphere for me is kind of the big thing is, is just getting, being around it and being around people who enjoy what, what I like to do, or even just sharing it with people. You know, you, you do a hunt and you come back and, and talk about it or call someone on the phone after you've seen a big deer or, uh, or something's happened in the woods or something shows up on camera. That's what I like about it. It's the process. It's not the, the killing of an animal. I mean, that's the, that's what my dad and my grandfather taught me is the killing's the last, the completely last step of it. You know, that's just the bonus. If it happens, just being outside and getting away from everyday work and everything is, is, is what it's all about. So that's, that's what, what I enjoy about it. And like you said, the whole elk camp type atmosphere, mule deer camp, I've uh, gotten that in the last decade and been going every single year. And uh, we do a small spike camp. Like you said, we go to Idaho and it's just, it's Idaho, New Mexico, stuff like that. It's some of the best terrain when you're sitting there looking at the stars and bullshitting. And if you got someone smart enough to carry a, a little bottle of whiskey or something up there and you can 
finagle a little sipper at the end of the day off of them because they they hiked it back in it's a uh it's definitely a cool experience and and it's fun you know that's that's why we're we're doing it it's it's not a competition it's just everyone's out here to have a good time so so how do you think the industry is balancing the two because i, I mean obviously yeah. we're we're in the you know the space where big deer is king and the yep. mobile hunting stuff is more and more and more like from your perspective, I guess from like the marketing side or from, from looking at it from the, the spreadsheets and, and all of that, yeah. you know, where does that fall into the, the scope of the outlook of the industry? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it, like you said, it's up and down, it ebbs and flows. Uh, I think we're, we're in a, a pretty decent transition period. I think, uh, you know, two, three years ago, even, even up to a year ago, it was, if you don't kill a booner, you're nobody, you know, and, and, and kind of get out, you know, everyone looks down on you. If you shoot a small deer, I can tell you, I shot a hundred and shoot probably 30 inch eight point in Kansas this year on film. And on my farm in Ohio, I killed a over 200 inch deer with a crossbow this year. So it's, it's not about, you know, Oh, I'm, I'm only killing this caliber of deer, this or that for me. Now everybody's different, but I think the industry is, is starting to flip. I love the, this whole mobile hunting and, and public land type attitude where it's just get out, you know, use the land that's, that's available to us. Uh, I do think there's, there's pushback both ways where, you know, you have the mobile hunting side or the public land side kind of saying, Oh, private, you know, there's, there's a little bit of, that middle ground where I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but it's, you know, it's kind of chip on your shoulder if you have private or it's chip on your shoulder if you hunt public and, and that kind of scenario uh, for me, but uh, it's a, we're all, you know, from my, my point of view of it, we're all here hunting. We all enjoy hunting. If you like to hunt on public or you like to hunt on private or you're, you're lucky enough to have private land. Uh, that's, you know, that's just the way it is. I look at it as I'm just getting outside and trying to go yeah, sit in a tree stand and get away from life. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing. Uh, the other side, the business side of it is, you know, our, our industry has definitely been in a transition period with a lot of, uh, you know, private equity and whatnot coming in and, and buying up, you know, multiple brands within a year and building these, these giant conglomerates. And I think a lot of times you lose, you lose kind of the, the DNA of a company when, when they get bought up by some of these bigger uh, conglomerates and private equity, they kind of forget about the people who are running it. And that was kind of my main goal when I got hired on it at Redline. And the reason I came over was we were going to keep it small, keep it family. And the neat thing is there isn't a person in this company that, that we're working with or with Redline right now that everybody hunts. Everybody is passionate about the outdoors. It's, it's a lifestyle. It is not a it's not, I don't look at it as a job, which is, which is awesome. You know, I get to come upstairs, I, up, upstairs in my house right now, but I literally take 25 steps, come up the stairs and sit down and I'm sitting around a bunch of deer and stuff. And I get to play around with archery sites and quivers and stabilizers every day. And, uh, I can't complain about that. I get to do what I, you know, I love, love to do for a living. And, and it's a, uh, it's a pretty interesting, uh, dynamic, but it's definitely the industry is definitely ebbing and ebbing and flowing right now. And I'd like to hear your point of view on it a little bit on what you see from your side of the table, but uh, it's, it's definitely a, uh, 
I feel like everybody's kind of coming back together to be honest with you and just being pro hunt. That's the biggest thing is just get outside. It's not about killing. It's about conservation. It's about us as a group of people, you know, getting together and making sure that we keep, you know, the public lands and even this sport alive and moving forward. That's, that's kind of my point of view on it. Well, I think that's great to hear from my perspective. It's somewhat interesting because like I said, we do, or I did grow up, you know, trekking up to this big piece of uh, private land. But again, it's seven hours. I mean, I drove <laughs> less uh, less hours down to Ohio to kill the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life. I mean, yeah. I grew up killing deer. Not, I mean, if someone killed a big buck, great. Uh, this year, going into this year, was the first year that we ever had any trail cameras with the advent of the cell cameras. I mean, we went up there twice a year, which was to open the camp, hunt, and then maybe go back after thanksgiving and we've got family that spends time up there through the summer and stuff but it's not for hunting it's for four-wheeling and doing other stuff so until i really dove into this podcast and got to start to talk to these guys that are killing big bucks and this coupled with the industry kind of inspires guys to say like it can be done in pa it can be done in michigan in these in these places where you know it's so tough to kill big deer and you know, it was a benefit for me to have that because like, I'm sure it has to be the same in, in, in PA, but public land in Michigan during rifle season is downright dangerous at, at yeah. times. So in <laughs> whether it's people dealing with their spots that, you know, let's say you found a great spot and you go in there. Well, old Joe has been hunting there for a hundred years and he lives right down the road and he's got a gun and <laughs> all of these things. So, uh, you know, until that point, we, I hunted with my father-in-law who never had anywhere private to hunt basically in his life it was just, he knows every piece of public land around here. So we hunted and I took it for granted, like all the things, like when I was coming up learning to bow hunt from my father-in-law and I've, I've been with my wife for like 20 years. So it's not like it's uh, just a recent, recent thing. But I used to go over there and I'd fall asleep and we'd just show up in the woods and we'd go somewhere. And then after we got done hunting, we'd drive around all these two tracks and we'd look for fresh tracks and we'd get out and we'd scout around. And all this stuff, you know, as a kid, as a teenager, you know, 20-something guy who's hungover from, you know, the <laughs> night before or whatever. I'm like, what in the world are we doing? And now getting into this and talking to guys and kind of both on the – the consumer side of it. So guys that listen to the podcast and really buy in, they say, well, now I want to hunt public. I didn't really understand that there was a difference. I mean, I thought, well, yeah, it's nice that these guys have private land to hunt, but our private land in the UP butts up to giant public. So if I want to yeah. wander off, but if you have a yeah. nice 40, yeah. The sign is always on the fence row right next to the neighbor. And so you guys are back to back or he's riding his gator down the road next to you. And, and so I think people are realizing that, you know, on a giant piece of public land, like you're talking about, as long as you're not there on the prime time days of opening day or when they're doing the drives or it's you yours. can find a spot, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, so. it's, it's pretty interesting. I mean, 
that's my thing. Like I turkey hunt up there and we got to camp up in the mountains there. And, uh, I love it because I'll go first two hours of the day. I'll get up, you know, obviously, you know, four thirty, five o'clock in the morning and walk them, them, uh, logging roads and you just kind of creep and walk or walk. And like, you won't see some weeks. I don't see another hunter after the opening weekend. And you're, you got 25,000 acres to yourself. You just kind of cruise and never, I mean, I've walked most of it, but not, you know, there's still nooks and crannies. I don't know of, and my dad keeps secret spots and my brother has secret spots and, you know, it's always, uh, it's pretty, pretty funny on, you know, you roost some birds and you're with the family and they're running different directions. And I'm like, God, does he have them or should I go try to, I think they're over here. And, uh, so it's fun, but like you said, the, the whole public land thing is, uh, I, they do get pounded, I think on those opening days, obviously, and guys get in there, but those, a lot of those animals and the deer, especially they're smart, you know, they, they, they know where to hide. And, and I've, I've killed some of my biggest PA deer, uh, or my biggest PA deer has been killed on public land. And it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty special, special spot. And we're lucky enough in, in Pennsylvania that we have a lot of it that we can go out and, and access and use and game lands and stuff like that. And, uh, for me, I mean, I bought my first farm in, in July this year up in uh, Ohio, north, northeastern Ohio, right off of Erie. And, you know, got lucky enough to put some cameras up and did some, you know, trimming and put some uh, tree stands and whatnot and threw corn on the ground. And there comes the biggest buck I've ever seen in my life. And I got lucky enough to kill it uh, or kill him this year. And uh, it was pretty crazy. Killed him in January in, in three foot of snow, but it's. Uh, the reason I bought that is because I want to take my nephews and my, and people in my family, you know, I want to introduce them to hunting without having, like you just said, the pressure of opening day where some guy is in, you know, you go into a spot and he walks up and causes a scene or, or does something. Uh, I want to be able to take, like I did for turkey season, I took my nephew to my property and I was more happy about getting him out than killing the deer I killed. It was, it was, it was a better experience for me to have him and see him interested in hunting and be around it than for me to sit in a tree stand for, you know, shoot, I think I hunted that deer eight different times, but probably spent 40 hours hunting them. And I'd rather hunt the two hours I hunted with my nephew than, than, than chase a 200 inch deer around. It was, it was a better, you know, just a cool experience to get somebody new into it and see just kind of his excitement to be out in the woods and be with his dad and me and Colin and, you know, hearing turkeys and stuff is pretty neat. So, so that's, that's what it's all about. Oh, for sure. And the, I hadn't been up to our camp in, I don't know, six or seven years. And I've got a six-year-old daughter and the nieces and nephews were going up there for after Thanksgiving. And we went up there and, oh my God, it was abysmal. Um, I, I missed... Uh, so I missed two different times with a rifle. I shot an elk at 200, I, at 275 yards with someone else's rifle that I never <laughs> shot before. I, yeah. I hunted with my bow for five days, went out there. Last day, I said, I'm going to borrow – one of the guys that tagged out, I said, I'm going to take your rifle. I'm going to go over there. I'm going to kill one. I did. I go up to our property okay. in the UP. I said, I'm going to walk in the swamp at gray light. I'm going to walk in there. There's going to be a doe. It's going to come right by me. I'm going to kill it. 40 yards, I missed this deer. And then on the last day – my brother killed one and uh, he texted me and he said, Hey, there's another one right here. If you can sneak around. So I went all the way around this Ridge, snuck up the Ridge, got out there right there, 90 yards, missed it. 
twice. It's <laughs> unbelievable. But luckily, the rest of my family can shoot, and we, they killed three different uh, does, and all the kids yeah. got to go out there. So my daughter at six, and the oldest, awesome. I think, is 12. And so we made them uh, drag the deer out and throw it into the thing. I mean, they got the full experience. experience. Cooked up the heart, did all the everything. And having that, um, I guess, you know, that captured environment. So you, yep. you control the interactions with people and, and everything there. Um, I think that that's huge for just exactly what you're saying for your, for your nephews and for, you know, getting new people into it. Um, but I want to talk about this farm a little bit just yeah. because for, for you just to be like, oh yeah, I bought this farm. Then I killed 200. So uh, how did you choose this farm? Uh, and <laughs> I mean, so if, if we're going to talk to one person all year that says, this is how you, uh, buy a farm, if you're going to pick your first one, uh, find one with the 200 on it, how do you do that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you talk to some of my best friends, they'd say, I, I, uh, looked at about 20 different farms and same exact within about a four or five square mile area. And, uh, I talked about it for four years before I pulled the trigger, but, but no, I got lucky. Uh, one of my really good friends, uh, Ivan, that, uh, that shoot, I turkey hunt with him. And he's kind of the guy I go turkey hunting with out in Kansas and Ohio and stuff. We were up, uh, steelhead fishing on Erie and I'd been looking for, I've always wanted to have my own property. That's been my goal in life is just get my own farm. So no one can tell me what I need. You know, no one can tell me I'm doing something wrong or, that I can't go do something on. I'm kind of bullheaded with that. I want to, I want to be able to do it my way. And, uh, he shot me a, a text. We were up, uh, Easter weekend, actually a year ago. So, uh, we were up there steelhead fishing and I was about, I was driving home on a Sunday to get home for Easter. And he's like, dude, this thing just popped up on my, and you know, how farms were going during COVID guys are just buying whatever they can. And he's like, it just popped up, go look at it. So I was driving by and the guy happened to be putting the, uh, uh, realtor happened to be putting the sign out in the front of it. So I pulled in and what, what it was, was an overgrown cattle farm. It was right at 50 acres, uh, up there in Northeastern Ohio and, uh, still had the cattle fencing in it and everything, but I got onto it and I, I walked it real quick. It has, you know, a two acre pond, uh, you know, cattle, obviously a, a cattle pond for to pull water from, but a two acre pond on it had a three acre marsh that, you know, you can flood, you know, we can flood and stuff. And then 13 acres of tillable, the rest was all woods. And I was on there for about a, two and a half minutes and after, like maybe 200 yards. And I was like, this is it. And I just kept walking. I, I did a big loop and actually up till last week, I hadn't even been to the back far corner of the farm till I went out, went in there turkey hunt with my nephew uh, for the youth opener. And it was just one of those things where you get on it and you know, it's that kind of right piece. It has two streams that run through it. So I have constant water going through the place. Uh, and up there in Northeastern Ohio, it's really flat and can get really wet. This kind of has a, a terrain, so it drains really well. And uh, just got back in there and we pulled all the cattle fencing out, but it was still overgrown thick. So I knew there were deer were bedding in there, but it was just so thick that, uh, we had to do something about it. So we took it in brush hogs and, and I forestry mulchers and opened it up a little bit and come, there were a ton of dough. So out to start, uh, I got cameras out. Uh, I, I uh, took ownership ship of it in July and by 
late August, I had cameras up and everything done that I wanted to do for the season. And, uh, um, dough everywhere, which was awesome. But, uh, that buck showed up, uh, the week before Halloween, he never left. So what I found out was after I, uh, killed him was the neighbors North of me, he was living a mile North and he kind of got bumped down, bumped down. And then I guess he found that we'd done a bunch of work there and opened it up and put food plots in and everything. And there's does everywhere. So he hung around and he never left. I mean, he lived in a core area of probably 20, 25 acres and just it was like clockwork. And I can only hunt him on a really strong North wind. I, I pressed it two times and, uh, didn't see him those two times. I only hunted him eight times and three out of the eight times I hunted him, I saw him in daylight and I killed him on the third time. And it was a bit, I have thousands of pictures of that deer and he was in there just, just living there with those does and stuff and not, not being bothered. And, and it's kind of, when you're looking at a property, it's just making sure you got the right amount of bedding and and feed. And then kind of just the, the biggest thing is, uh, what I looked at was he had places to escape to and get to thickets and stuff like that on my property. Cause it was so overgrown where I think he felt comfortable, uh, which, uh, you know, a lot of guys will, will have different opinions and stuff if they probably looked at my farm. But for me, I knew I would, I got to the point where he would on different winds, he'd be bedding in different areas, which was amazing to me. And it's the, really the first year that I ever, I didn't pressure. I never rattled at him once. I never grunted at him once, like grunted random grunted to try to get him to come in. I just sat there and waited. And, uh, like I said, the one time I thought I was going to kill him with a bow, uh, I had seven bucks come out of my swamp and literally in a line right after the rut. And it would have been that first week of December, they all come up and walk 20 yards from me in a line coming to, obviously in Ohio, you can corn, they're coming to the corn pile, trying to, trying to reload up before that next round. And he come up and looked at them all at 80 yards and walked away and hit a scrape 200 yards away. And I was like, what the heck? I get to my, uh, so I got down in the dark after about 30 minutes, I get to my truck. And as soon as I got to my truck, I checked my cell cam and he's sitting on the corn pile. All he did was a big loop. It was like, he knew I was up there. <laughs> and when you're hunting a deer like that, it's, it's a pretty humbling experience when they're, they're definitely intelligent animals. And, uh, it, for me, that was my first real big go at, at something. And it was something that I just, you know, I had a lot of guy, a lot of really close friends that were kind of living vicariously through me. I'd call them every night and be like, had this happened? What do I do? Or this? And they were all giving me input. It was pretty neat to piece everything together to finally, finally get them uh, after ATA there. I think I shot them on the 25th of January, which was, uh, it got frigid cold and we had like three, three foot of snow and it's just one of those deals, but, uh, the, the whole farm, you know, owning a farm and, and getting into it. Uh, it's been one of the most rewarding things that I've ever done. It's like just fun because you can kind of get to do what you want and you get to play it how you want. You don't need 500 acres. Uh, that's the big thing. I think everyone thinks you need to go out and buy a big chunk. Like I'd rather have 10, 50 acre pieces that are all over the place, you know, within a, 10 square mile area than one continuous chunk of 500. I think you can do a lot more and obviously you can see a lot more different deer is the biggest thing. Uh, and you can hold deer, uh, you know, or, or get them, give them a reason to come to your property. If you have, you know, have the smaller tracks, uh, you can, you can capture them coming through and traveling. Yeah. You got to deal with your neighbors, but 
a lot of times neighbors are on the same page with you if you if you can let them know you or get a program going with them uh, i think it's it's more just interacting with your neighbors a lot of people are scared to do that just gotta be transparent with them and go and like i said nobody knew i was in there hunting that deer but as soon as as soon as i killed them i got four phone calls from farmers who had that same deer on camera and been hunting them for two years and we're all friends. The cool thing is we're all friends now. So we, we're all on the same page and these guys, they don't kill anything under 170 inches and they all surround me. So it's, it's a pretty neat, neat little microcosm, I guess, of, of farms in that area that I, I purchased mine at that, uh, like I said, if it right now with, with kind of the whole land price thing and stuff, the land's never going to get any cheaper is what my dad told me. And I was him hawing around about it. And he's like, just pull the trigger and take a chance. And luckily I did the right thing. <laughs> you know, first, I'll probably never, I'll never see a deer like that again, but it, it was definitely, uh, it's definitely worth, worth the experience. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I mean, that, that farm I'll keep forever. It's awesome. So what do you think about your property in particular? So when you were doing your habitat improvements, what did you put in for food plots? Like for guys on exactly what you're saying. So maybe like a smaller track that's going to, bring something that's either a destination or to hold them. Yeah. So, so where I'm at, there's a ton of ag around, you know, cause I have, I only have 13 acres. So around me, I got these giant, giant farms that are four or 500 acre farms. I got 50 acre cornfields where these deer are living. So I really focus kind of on, on clover and, and white clover and just getting, getting them there with that. And then obviously brassica and stuff and doing kind of a micro smaller plot. I didn't have a plot. My biggest plot was three acres. Uh, everything else was within an you know, acre to acre and a half. And then I had that three acre plot. Now this year, since we've kind of did that second round of, of the farm, cause I've only owned it since uh, July. So we're going to have uh, 13 acres of beans that are going to be that they're going to plant this year that they're up there right now, kind of tearing stuff up, you know, turning the dirt, getting everything ready for it. But, uh, that for me on a small farm, you want to, I want to keep them. I, I want to have like a staging area plot where they're trying to get to those bigger, those bigger fields or bean fields or corn fields where, where they want to get to at nighttime. I want to get them before they get there. So, uh, when I walked that property, I realized there were spots within it that I could have, smaller acre, acre and a half, three acre plots that they come out of their bedding, they feed there first, and then they make their way to, to kind of the, the larger, larger food sources that they're going to hang out in all night long. But, uh, and then obviously in the morning, it's, it's a, it's a whole nother story of them coming back through where they'll kind of stage up and hang there and then head back to their beds. But those plots where I had, I mean, I was, I bet you I wasn't 200 yards off their bedding uh, on, on the food pots I have, that's kind of try to get as close as you can without And that that's the problem. That's another thing. And the only reason I could hunt them, I only hunted them eight times is the wind. I mean, you can blow it out real quick and it's tough for guys. It was about the toughest thing in my life to sit there and see a deer like that every day, every day, every day. And I knew I had uh, buddy, Tommy, uh, works for Mossy Oak. He straight up told me, he's like, you go in there on the wrong wind, you're going to blow them out and it's over. He's like, you don't get to, you don't get a second chance with a deer like that. He's like, you have to, you know, have some restraint and just know that he'll be there at the right time. And, and, and it, it ended up working out. And I, like I said, I hunted him on two, two wins that were iffy, but it was during gun season. And I could have shot him at 208 yards. Uh, 
that second Saturday and I didn't, it was right at last light. And I was like, that's just not, I was shaking like a little kid, <laughs> but the gun was going like this. And I was like, oh, I can't do it. But uh, no, it's, I think those micro plots and just smaller stuff closer to bedding or even in the, like in, in the woods that are kind of hidden, that's where, that's where you're going to pay off. Uh, and obviously it just depends on, you know, where you're hunting in the farm and everything, but that certain area, I think that, you know, that's, that's the best bet up there in Northeast Ohio is getting away from those bigger, you know, 25, 30 acre, 50 acre cornfields and, and having the places where they can hide and feel safe, but still feed. So that's, that's kind of my, my thought process, take it for what you want, you know, but, uh, it's definitely, uh, clover and then brassica and then we'll do some buck some oats uh there in august you know and get those get those ripping uh and even in the beans the farmers bean fields i'll go broadcast oats and that uh you know that august time frame and just hope it take you know hopefully get a rain and, and they take but uh just on those edges if we're hunting some field edges and so we talked about that public versus private the whole everything and the deer to a degree don't know that it's public or private. They, I mean, they might have better things and less pressure, but uh, it's arguable that, you know, some of these smaller places that have, you know, 15 guys that, that hunt it, you know, you, your brother, your uncle, uh, they bring some kids and then, then, you know, the lady across the street, she's also got permission and, uh, <laughs> you know, that was in your land contract or whatever. You, you yeah. understand what I'm saying? They might yeah. have more pressure. So yeah. uh, in a, in a scenario like that, where we live in the world of must be nice, right? Yeah. It's, it, yeah. He buys a farm, he puts in a food plot, he kills a 200. It must be yeah. nice. Yeah. You said you talked about the restraint that went into not hunting that deer. Um, what other tactics or other things like other than playing the wind and just going in there when it was uh, bulletproof? What allowed you, you know, for guys that say, oh, it was just that easy, right? Yeah. No, <laughs> no, I can tell you, no, it was not that it was not that easy. Uh I think like, like you mentioned with cell, like the in cell cams and stuff like that. I had, you know, I went out and bought cell cams. I, I only had two at the time and, and two is a lot, you know, you're paying $20 a camera to have them run. And, and at the end of the, you know, 40, 50, it's more than a damn cable bill when you're sitting there thinking about it. And I went out and bought, you know, three, four more. And, and I utilize those a lot. They're great. They're great to just kind of figure out the movement of how those deer are going. And, and then obviously pinch points was, was kind of the next thing we had set pre, you know, summertime preseason, we'd set just on, Oh, this is, you could see where the deer are moving through. It's a pinch point. There's really nowhere else. I was, I actually uh, ended up harvesting that deer on a swamp edge where he, he had really nowhere to go. It was, you know, he's either going to go into the big woods and be wide out in the open or he comes through a thicket bumps into this little three acre food plot. It's, neck down to 25 yards and it opens up like a teardrop and then he gets out to the big fields. And and that's how, that's kind of how, uh, how I looked at it is, and I've always been taught, especially coming from the public land side is you want to get them in pinches or benches, you know, deer are going to travel to eat for me. They always travel the easiest, easiest point of least resistance, basically. I mean, you can, you can do that by just tying down a damn barbed wire fence a little bit, the top, top little bit of a barbed wire fence, you'll within a week, 
your deer are going to move 50 yards and they're going to start jumping the fence where it's tied down lowest just because it's the easiest way for them to get over. So, uh, that was my, the biggest thing was the pinch point thing. And then just honestly relying on a lot of, a lot of my friends, you know, opinions and experience, because I, like I said, I've, I've killed decent sized deer, you know, deer one forties, you know, low one fifties. And that those are great deer. Like I, my, my favorite deer I've ever shot is a 140 inch deer because just, I was there with my brother and my dad and that's something I remember and I'll never forget, but, um, it's just, uh, just kind of, you gotta be, I like to ask other people and learn from other people. That's my biggest thing is knowledge is King and ask people who've been in that experience or done it before, because the average guy, you know, who, who doesn't hunt a lot, I think would have went in there and pushed it and, and probably blew it up and pushed it really quick. And like you said, it's a must be nice scenario because I, you know, you can go hunt it whenever you want and take your time hunting it. But I can tell you this much. I was getting up every night at three o'clock in the morning, checking cell cameras and saying, did he make it through gun? Like there was a lot of sleepless nights. Like he disappeared for four days. Uh, the, what was that second Saturday at gun? And I was like, somebody got him. <laughs> and I was just waiting for a picture to show up. And, and finally he showed back up, um, you know, after gun season, but it's, it's definitely a, uh, it's, it's a humbling experience to even be around or, or be being able to hunt an animal like that. It, it's not, you don't get that chance. I don't think I'll ever get that chance again in my life. I understand, you know, uh, how rare that is to hunt a wild animal that's that big. And, uh, like I said, it, you get, sometimes you get lucky is the way I look at it. You know, it's nothing I did where I'm, you know, I'm claiming I'm the greatest hunter in the world. I just, was at the right place at the right time and, and had the right situation happen. And, uh, it's, it's, it's some, some people get, get luckier than others is the way I look at it. Like my, my dad says, and, uh, you know, for hunting in PA here and stuff like he's killed four points and six points and, and everything like that. And he's like, Hey, they all eat the same. And we were actually eating backstrap off of them the other day. And I was like, how many people get to say they eat a 200 inch backstrap? I mean, it's like Wagyu beef. I could sell it probably for a lot of money somewhere. (laughs) So in in, in that scenario, it's, it's, it's interesting. And I've never really thought about it when people, I've yet to be in the situation to like hunt a specific deer or to, you know, try and pattern a deer this way and that way. And from what you're talking about and the way that you've described it, it's awesome that you were able to, you know, finally close the deal and bring that deer home. But man, it's, it seems almost as if there's a whole nother level of uh, winning on that deer. It, it, it seems like, so if you've got a deer that, that that's that big, that you know, he lives there. And he's on your property and you're worried about someone else killing him. But every time you have an encounter or every time you hunt, and even if you don't see him and he shows back on camera, it's like, I didn't mess it up because that I, I, I've never had that scenario, but I mean, that had to be because it seemed, it would seem like one misstep and he's gone forever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. From, from what I've heard from guys who've hunted deer like that and, yeah, at the end of the day, they're a wild animal and, and they're going to do what they want to do. But it's, it was, 
yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, oh God, like actually you're afraid to, I was a lot of times afraid to do something wrong and, and hesitant about hunting, which for that's first time in my hunting in my whole life. Usually I'm like, I'm going hunting. I'm just going to go hop up in my stand and go, go see what I see. And yeah, there's good deer on my property or there, I got cameras in the state forest. I got good deer there. We're just going to get up and, and give her hell where this is like, well, shit, should I walk in this way or should I, should I wait till two o'clock to go in or should I go in? The wind's going to switch at three 30. Should I wait till then? And it was, it got a lot more strategic and a lot more stressful, which I can tell you, I did not like <laughs> that at all. <laughs> and, uh, you know, having, having being done with it, it, it's, it's, uh, you know, I enjoyed it and, and really like, it was almost like a game, which was, which was cool. It was almost just doing the right stuff or just, just kind of planning it out correctly. And, and every hunt was planned, which was pretty neat. Like it wasn't just walk in there and go sit in this stand or that stand. It was, there was a reason for why I was going into hunt and a reason why I took the route in or rode an electric bike in or come around the backside of the swamp to hunt them, uh, which, which was cool. Like it was, it was definitely a chess match and not just going out and slinging the gun over the shoulder and, and hoping and praying something comes ripping by me. So I, you know, definitely a, a learning experience and I learned probably more in one season than I did in 10 seasons by hunting deer. Cause I got to see some really cool different things on how even not screwing up does and making sure you don't screw them up because you know, he's, he's there, you know, he's within earshot of a blow or whatever, you know, he's, he's waiting, <laughs> he's waiting for someone to catch, catch you doing something stupid. And, uh, it was, it was pretty interesting. And, uh, I'll take that experience out of, it's, it's definitely something I'm going to, it's up there on the top five, not, not so high, but, uh, for me, but I, uh, and I know a lot of people be like, what the hell you're crazy. It's a two, you know, a 200 inch deer, but, uh, there's been a lot of other, a lot of other stuff that I've enjoyed. And, and that was just one of them. It's been really cool. It's just, uh, I'll definitely never forget, forget the 2021 deer season, actually 2022. I, <laughs> I killed them, but, uh, <laughs> 2021 was the uh, season. So pretty cool. So how has that changed your outlook on hunting going forward being a, the way that you're approaching hunting, is any of it going to carry over? And then aside from that, like, does it make you jaded? I mean, I, so I killed my deer green scored uh, 150 uh, and five eights or something in, in, in Ohio and like I've come to the realization that that's probably the biggest deer that I'm going to kill or get an opportunity at, and that's because of my skill level and time and aspirations, all of these things. I would rather have a lot more fun killing 125s and 130s with all my buddies yeah. than having to lie about people to but where I'm hunting and the deer that yeah. I'm hunting. Yeah. Um, so are you jaded at all? And then that experience that you just outlined with. Yeah you know, it wasn't that fun to hunt that way. How does it it, it go forward? Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it wasn't that fun. It was just a different, different style of hunting. Like I, I enjoyed it. Like I liked it, but go forward for me. If it's mature or, or it makes me pick the bow up off the bow rack, it's getting shot at. 
Like I'm a sucker. I still have the one, I want a 150 inch eight point so bad that I could like, that's my like dream 150, 160 inch eight point, which is world like insane world-class eight. Like I want that so bad. I, I just love how they frame up. And uh, I actually had a chance to shoot one in Kansas before I, this year and ended up shooting a smaller deer. And I, for me, deer hunting is just the opportunity you're at and you have now, with, obviously with cell cams and stuff and cameras, we, we have the opportunity to see what's out there and, and see what's there and moving. But I'm not sitting around and hoping and praying that I'm going to shoot a deer bigger than what I shot this year. That's just not reality. Uh, if I get lucky enough and something someday shows up on a place that I'm hunting. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we will give it, give it hell and, and see what happens. But for me, it's just being outside. I had more and I enjoyed it more just being on my own property or just being in a tree stand, being away from everything and enjoying the outdoors than, than it was harvesting that animal. Yeah. Believe me, I was fired up. I got cell cam or, uh, um, iPhone footage. My buddy took of me just going nuts when we found them, but, uh, it's, I, I want to actually get, you know, next generation, my nephew, people who've never hunted. That's kind of like what I'm into now is like just watching those people experience hunting for the first time. Cause, uh, we can all go out there and everyone puff their chest up and say, oh, I've killed this, this, and that. But to be honest, it's, it's one of those things. A lot of it is luck and it's the right properties. You know, you got to be in the right area. Genetics are a, a big thing. Uh, luckily I'm in, obviously up there in that area, they kill a lot of big deer uh, in that Northeast Ohio and the genetics are there. And I think shoot, they've killed within a three mile area, four deer over 200 inch uh, in the last like four years up there. So they, they do have the genetics there and you get lucky being in the, a certain region, but, uh, it's more about just getting outside and enjoying and, and the land and, and growing the deer. And I, shoot, I would, wouldn't care if my best friend would have shot it, you know, or, or the neighbor would have shot it. At least I know that I had the opportunity to hunt a deer like that. Cause that's, that's in itself is, is awesome. Just to be in, in the same area or see a deer like that on the hoof is great. Yeah. But I also like, Along with that, the meticulous nature in which you had to hunt. Are you going going to take some of that going forward? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it depends on who you're hunting with. I can't do that with a kid, but uh, I can definitely whip my older brother into shape and make sure he's washing his clothes and not going in on a bad wind. Because uh, uh, we took, it was his first time showing up at the farm uh, two weeks ago and I always give him crap. I'm like, dude, I remember us growing up as kids. I was always very into all the new technology and carbon apparel and keeping your scent, your clothes outside and stuff. And, uh, he'd come smelling like a shoot. He'd be what aqua du jour. He'd be sprint coming from the night before. Like he was at the bar smelling like he was out trying to pick up girls. And I'm, I'm very anal about the whole scent thing and, and, and doing the right thing going in. So yeah, I will, uh, especially on, on that farm that I got, I'll be pretty anal about it, but, uh, we'll set it up to the point where we can get, get guys in there, but like my nephew and stuff like that, I'm more interested in getting him his first year and, and getting guys that don't, don't maybe have that, ex, you know, that chance to go hunt a, a private piece of land, let them go kind of experience something because at the end of the day, if we're not pushing and getting new guys into the sport or 
teaching people how to hunt or teaching them that it is possible to kill a deer like that on a 40 acre, 50 acre piece. You don't need to, you know, 500 to a thousand acres to do that. You don't need to grow them on your property. They're there. You just need to, you know, give them the spot where they want to be. Uh, uh, it's, it's definitely, you know, part of me wants to be strategic, but at the end of the day, if, if it's to get someone their first year or get out there and have a good time, we're going to, we're going to do it, do it the old school way and go in and just sit down on a white bucket on a field edge and hope something creeps out, you know? <laughs> I can't tell you how refreshing that is because it would, there, I feel like there are so many people uh, for a, in a lot of different facets, especially within the industry, uh, to, to be trying to launch a brand, doing all of these things that would, that would be their claim to fame, the badge of honor that would be on every single piece of everything that, um, there are some things I feel like in life where people have these things that they that end up defining them. And then that's where they, you know, where, when they talk about people peak too early or, or whatever, you know, and you're living in high school and, you know, the fact that you're saying, yeah, that was really cool. I've killed some deer with my family that I, you know, cherish just as much or, or better. I have this property that has deer on it that are great. We've got awesome genetics, but I would rather have an experience with my family than, you know, I, it's it, the conversation did not go. We've got all these great up and comers. And if we just got five yeah. more years, you know, <laughs> and we keep everybody off of it, the, you know, yeah. and you keep saying Northeast Ohio. And I'm like, man, is this guy lying? Because uh, there's people that wouldn't even say like a county, a WMA, like, you know, yeah. you're, people are going to listen to this and they're going to be like, where's the public land in, in Northeast yeah. Ohio? Like, okay, Erie's here, you know, uh, yeah. so much of this, I guess, is like out of the ordinary for what I think of as the industry and, and 200 yeah. inch deer talk, you know, so it's yeah. very no, refreshing. It's, <laughs> well, you're, you know, obviously I've never shot one, like, you know, shot more than one of them before so i'm i'm pretty obviously humble about it but it's it's i wasn't raised that way and like listen up like i said they're wild animals they're going to do whatever they want and it's you don't own them if they're on your property you know they could go like it there was a mile north uh all summer long and bump down so it's that's i think one thing the industry's kind of gone astray on is is we're all here we're all hunters we're in it for to, to just get outside and, and be a part of it. And the whole, Oh, I got to kill the biggest deer. Uh, that's not, that's nothing. I'm going to sit around and claim like, um, I, all I kill is big deer and I don't shoot anything under 150 or whatever. I mean, like I said, I shot a deer in Kansas this year that might score 127 <laughs> if it's lucky or 130. But, uh, and I was happy as hell. I hunted seven days straight. And I saw way bigger deer than that, but, at the end of the day, uh, you know, he came in and I picked my bow up off the rack. That's what I always say. And my dad's like, you're from PA. And we grew up with, you know, with a lot of times, you know, in our family stuff, it's, we're, you know, it's meat hunters. You get a lot of people that, you know, they need to kill something to have, have some meat in the freezer for, for the year. And we luckily didn't need that, but I love eating deer meat and I grew up eating it. My grandfather did you know, from uh, Pittsburgh here in Steeltown that was their big releases go up, go up to camp and 
go get your deer and bring it back and you'd eat on it for a certain part of the year and and it would be turkey season so so it's uh that's kind of where we're at right now i was like i just gotta i'm fired up to go up there and shoot a bird that's all i really care about is going in there and smashing i got a couple gobblers that showed up on camera the other day so i'm fired up we got but a week and a half, 10 days till we can actually hunt up there in that northern zone. So that'll give people a little bit more uh, idea on where I'm hunting. Well, I I think it's great because, <laughs> you know, with, you know, you're on here we're to talk about Redline. We haven't talked about Redline yeah. at all. Uh, yeah. But there's a lot of people that are also in the industry, like you said, that are these conglomerates or that these people that don't hunt, they don't use the stuff that they're selling or that they've created they'd know every single skew and every single color pattern and they can tell you you know every single nut and bolt on the site or or whatever but they might hunt on a outfitter you know can hunt in florida or something they go on a pig hunt one time and yeah that's that's their hunting experience or whatever and and i know you know through this conversation and um, talking with Weston and then the, your bow guy, Ben in Montana. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, the, <laughs> the guys that are behind this company or the guys that are out there doing the work um, are living the same lifestyle that, you know, most of us are as well. And uh, you know, when I talk about knowing the sites inside and out, I was on the phone with Ben and we were trying to figure out some a leveling issue on the, site that I had. And it wasn't an issue. It was just, we couldn't articulate back and forth. And uh, so like co-host had the site completely out all the way down to the springs and ball bearings. And we we're flipping it over and we we're trying everything. And, uh, you know, just, and he's telling us, you know, oh yeah, we'll do this and do that. So just yeah. these, these guys actually know what they might not know what they're talking about, but they're doing the same thing that we're doing. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, you know, for us, you know, that's the biggest thing. Like we're, we wanted to build product, you know, on the red line side of things for guys who are, who are out using it and in, in, in the field all the time, you know, and, and, and build reliable product. You know, it's not going to be your $300 price point sites and, $180 quivers and stuff like that. It, it's stuff that the, you know, the guy who hunts and the everyday guy can afford. And and the biggest thing for us is we're really dealer centric. We want, we want guys to go into those pro shops and, and see their local dealer and have the dealer set the bows up with our product on it. You're not going to see us on Amazon or, you know, out there in big box stores. Uh, you know, our, our brands are built within the dealers and, kind of that's our whole idea around it and from nuts to bolts we we live in that that better best world but obviously we have a good better best uh, uh kind of lineup within our brand starting with the rl3 series all the way up to the rl1 you know you get into the carbon product that we have that is super lightweight really be you know just kind of built for that mobile type hunter you know from elk hunting to hiking into public land three four miles uh it's all been kind of purpose built for, for the, that, that sort of, uh, that sort of hunt, even down to RL three sites that are, you know, price point, you know, $89 sites. And we, we got some new product coming out here that'll launch, uh, end of May, early June, that even gets a little bit lower for kind of kit bow guys that want to, you know, just getting into the sport. It's all, it's all 
built for those guys to get out in the field and not worry about something malfunctioning out there. That's, that's my pet peeve is, you know, you're, like you said, you're three, four miles back in on an elk hunt. I don't need to worry about my site housing moving up and down or something getting bumped off. I want to make sure I can fall on the thing and be able to still use it. And, uh, and like I said, we're learning, you know, as we go, but it's, it's been really refreshing with the team we have. There's a lot of experience and a lot of guys that are, uh, kind of excited, you know, and, and know, they know this industry and they know these, these products and the archery accessory world on what works and what doesn't for, for the consumer. So it's been a very, uh, been very refreshing and fun and just a good experience to bring solid product at a good price point out to the market. So, yeah, a couple things on that. The, yep. the one of the, one of the things that, so, um, Eric did a podcast with Byron Horton on the whitetail experience and yep. Byron's a friend does a great yep. job. Awesome. What um, One of the things that you guys talked about on there and I didn't even think about it and it goes into like building it for the hunter is uh, on the other quiver that I had had, it only had one place where the arrow snapped in. Yep. And I didn't ever think about that as being an issue other than I know that in Idaho, I lost and there's an arrow of mine somewhere in Idaho that fell out of the quiver and I I've, found it. <laughs> and there's some, some guys and there's one in Missouri. The one in Missouri actually has a, a, a wrap with a, the bow hunter Chronicles logo and my name on it. Um, so I, I mean, I get you there, but um, I, I never thought about that. And I saw, you know, Jake from the hunting public taking a, a one of those little bracelets that you put on and putting it over to kind of hold it in there. Well, the red line stuff on at least the one that I have, I don't know if it's on all the models have two uh, places where the arrow snap in yeah. there. And yeah, so Yeah. We've done, we've done a lot of, a lot of research back and forth on that. And, and it all comes down to the durometer on your, your, uh, the grippers that we have. So our, our carbon series, uh, the RL one carbons, we have a three and a six arrow. And we're only, we have one gripper there. Now we do have grippers up on the hood and we ran prototypes. I was in Idaho for nine days last year on, on an elk hunt and never had an arrow slip out. And this was like a 3d printed rough prototype before we actually got the real molded rubber in there. Uh, now we did launch that and I can tell you that we're going to be, we're going to bring out just because the consumer wants, they want to, they want to feel like their arrow is not going anywhere. So we're going to offer a uh, add-on if they want to throw on a uh, secondary gripper to, to make it more stable. But I mean, that those are R01 series never have had a arrow pop out of them. So those are single gripper series. Now you have the RL2 and then we have an RL3, which is basically the same. The RL3 is a uh, polymer molded hood, which you get to the price point of 49. Your RL2, I think is uh, running around $99, but uh, that has that double gripper. So those were built basically whitetail specific. So for the whitetail guy that, you know, they can lock them in and not worry about something bumping off, but they also have the tree stand or the uh, tree stand hook on them so they can pull it off the bow, hang it a little bit easier than uh, kind of that, that low profile of the RL1 series, which was purpose built for the three arrow was, we got in arguments in the, in the uh, lab there when we were talking about them, because I just wanted to do a six arrow and be done with it. But all the uh, tree saddle guys are like, give me a three arrow. 
And the funny thing is, is we're selling the heck out of them right now. I, I would have, if I could have picked a dog in the bunch, that would have been it. But uh, it's, it's definitely doing really well. And then the six arrow uh, we did for kind of that Western guy, super lightweight. Like we're coming in right around 10 ounces on that thing, uh, which is insane for a quiver. And uh, it's been a, uh, really well received and like like i said we're we're out in the dealers right now with them they're they're selling them but uh it's pretty cool when you're walking around some of the 3d early 3d shoots already i was at one uh last weekend and you start to see your product like floating around out there on random bows and stuff and and our big push as a company was and for me is i got i hate not having the same thing like being brand loyal as a as a person like guys are brand loyal with a bow brand or brand loyal with apparel brand. But when it comes to accessories, it's like something threw up all over the bow. You know, there's different pieces and parts and, you know, our, our end goal is to, when they buy into Redline is I want them building out the whole kit, the whole system. I want them using our stabilizers, our quivers, our sites. Uh, that's, that's kind of my, how I envision the brand uh, and how we want to go forward with it and, and really become a you know people recognize the name redline uh more or the logo when they see it and say you know and when a guy says i got redline their whole bow's decked out in it from their bow sling you know wrist sling all the way down to the quiver to the stabilizer site uh there'll be some other stuff coming that'll be pretty fun here uh coming up but uh it's it's been a great process i'm kind of building out this brand and, and the archery accessory world it's awesome yeah one of the things that drew me to like reaching out was the was the price point and i I can remember like in the early stages of doing this podcast or even before um looking at some of the sites when we started shooting 3d and going what how much uh you know that really nice site really nice features and i'm going my god and and now Again, you use the word again, but I'm pretty much jaded. Like I know I can look at something and say, okay, I, I know how much all of this stuff is. And, you know, for us in the podcast world, like we try to try everything that we possibly can so that we can have an intelligent conversation on how it works, how it operates. Would you use it? Will it break? Uh, did you break it is more of a question. Yeah. Um, so to, to see the product to look at the price points and then the construction of it, you know, the all aluminum or carbon fiber and aluminum, uh, all the parts on it, very sturdy. And I've got an RL one and I also have the RL two dovetail, uh, that we're putting on our bow for turkeys. Um, looking at them, uh, you know, I posted pictures and that was one of the first things that guys asked was like, it looks plastic. And I'm like, well, there is, it looks like some sort of Delrin or something yep. Um, yep. for the, for the gears. So rather than calling you guys, because in my experience, it's always going to be, the company's going to tell you, yeah, well, it's, it's fine. We tested it. Okay. Well, you're a company that's out six months and how much yep. testing could you have possibly done? And of course you're going to say that it's great. Um, so I called, uh, one of my buddies that does 3d printing, he's an engineer and I asked him and he's like, no, it's used, you know, there's, there's materials that are used in gears all the time yep. that are, you know, made of 
of polymers that are, that are purpose yep. built. Um, yep. So my independent fact checking said uh, <laughs> it doesn't really matter that that one part on there is made of some sort of polymer. So yep. so for the price, the the site for a guy that you know maybe only hunts whitetail but wants to do a total archery challenge or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's I don't I I have not seen a better site for that at the price yeah. point yeah and that's i mean that's kind of you mentioned total archery challenge like that's a whole nother thing that's blown my mind is kind of went to my first one two years ago uh, i believe and it was pretty interesting on on the setups you start seeing where normally you go into these these kind of shoots and there's a lot of monster stabilizers and just stuff that kind of intimidates you as a as a as a hunt, like a whitetail or a elk hunter or whatever. It's a lot of stuff going on. And when I walked into that, it was like, I was around, you know, my people, <laughs> like you're walking around people that you can talk to. Everyone has a hunting rig. And the cool thing is just the whole distance game um, where you're starting to see these shots that are 140, 150. I mean, I think there was one this year at the seven Springs one in Pennsylvania. It's like over 160 yards. And guys are willing to just cut loose and, and they're dialing it out and, and guessing. And we're getting a lot of questions now, like, hey, I need this tit, you know, can you get me X amount of pins or can you do this variation? And and we're it's it's pretty neat that, you know, an event like that is really pushing this industry and it's making it fun again and and making it a more camaraderie, like like we were talking about hunting camps and stuff where it's not a competition. You're just going and shooting for the weekend with your friends and you're shooting three, four different courses and come down at the end of the night, have beers and you get to see people like John Dudley and some of these other guys that are, you don't have access to them and they're sitting there bullshitting with you talking about their setup. And if you got a problem with your bow, they're more in, they'll grab your bow and tune on it. You know, I saw him grab, I was at that seven Springs one he, guy had an issue and he just, he's one of the best bow techs in the world. Like he's sitting there, starts helping out with the guys, but a random guy that, you know, he could sit there and charge two, $300 for him to work on a bow, but he's just help, there to help people out. So I, I love that aspect of kind of how that event is really pushing the, the industry in the right direction where it's more, it's fun. And it's a, it's just a good, good solid environment around good people and people who have the like, like-minded mentalities and, and want to be around it. But yeah, like I said, the the whole shooting distance thing is that's why we started with, uh, you know, we come out with the three different types of wheel sights is it's, it's crazy trending now. And yeah, I don't recommend shooting at a live animal beyond X amount of yards if you're not comfortable, but uh, heck yeah, launch them at a target. The aero companies love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you, when you said go, you know, shoot you know, three or four. And I thought for sure you were going to say trees. <laughs> like, because yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the, yeah. that's the event in a, it's, in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. You watch them guys, they go up with a full backpack, full uh, arrows. They come back with two and they're over at the, you know, uh, that booth or Easton booth, getting, getting arrows cut and putting new inserts in for the next day. It's, it's pretty, uh, it's cool. And it's getting people outside, which is awesome. And I think the format of that event, obviously you've been to them before, I would imagine, but uh, it's just a neat, neat experience for people to get the, to shoot different angles and up and down and, and do those kind of mountain type courses, which are, which are pretty cool. So, 
Yeah, one of the yeah. one of the fun things with like red line and me being on this side of it, and so you you saying uh, the the argument internally about the the quivers, and when I'm talking to Ben, he's like, so so let me ask you this, let me yeah. ask you this, because there's internally, you know, we're saying some guys are in this. We want this, yeah. you know, and so it, it's yeah. it's really fun uh, from that aspect for for me because you know for most guys the, you don't ever get to hear about what goes on in the in the design room or in the in the room where yeah. you're you're trying to say well which one do you prefer? Um, and you talked about going to these events and getting to see you know your products out there. Um, what is that like? One of the things why I like to talk to guys that do. Um, have companies and are are kind of like on your side of it is you said how cool it is to to see that you know everybody has an idea in their head that you know in a year or so comes out and you're like I thought of that a long time ago or 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 whatever so how fulfilling is it to have something from your mind then come to to fruition, fruition. I guess how how would you um, kind of like mentor guys or for guys that are like they think they've got these great ideas or whatever yeah. like what advice do you have for them yeah I mean it's so I can tell you it's not one person uh, on our team it's a team effort and, and we've spent a long time like oh weeks in rooms arguing back and forth and that's the fun part is is the is the product development side of things and in building and and adding and taking away and and i can i got a whole room right here full of stuff from prototype one to what we're selling now and there's stuff i would change on it you know we're always how do we tweak this or that so I think the big thing is, is, is if you have an idea it's don't tell a lot of people about it <laughs> uh, you know there's uh, I mean, there's plenty, obviously, you know, if, if it's the right thing, obviously patent attorneys and stuff like that, it does get fairly pricey when you're getting into it. So you gotta be, gotta be smart about how you, you go at it that way. But if you're passionate about it and, and you really feel like it's something that, that can add, you know, you know, to a, a person's hunt or, or, um, give them an advantage or do something, uh, to the hunting industry. I mean, a lot of this is just taking chances and, and, and going after what you believe in, uh, from, from my aspect of it, you know, not everything works. I can tell you that, uh, from experience, I was, I was a buyer for over 10 years and I made some really bad buys <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I was a buyer for a big chain and, uh, it costs a lot of money sometimes. And, and I'll, some other times the stuff works and it's like, Whoa, what the heck? This is something I didn't even think. And you, and it's, you get behind it and go, but for the industry, you know, as a startup for us, uh, you know, we're, we are a very small brand. There's, there's about three of us internally that run day to day. And then we have a, a team of outside sales reps and stuff that, that help us with ideas and, and concepts and, uh, you know, take stuff from the field and, and guys who are experts within the industry. And obviously trophy line being a sister company, we, we get the bounce ideas off of those guys because they live in a saddle. Most of the, most of the year, I wish I, wish I had that job, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, like I said, if it's, if you're passionate about it and, and you feel right, uh, you know, from my, my point of view and where I've come from, it's, you got to take a chance and go for it. You, know, you only get, I get one of these lives and, and I'm, I'm one of those believers that, uh, 
if you believe in it and, and really put the fuel behind it and push, you're going to be successful as a person. And there's people out there, you know, within the industry and stuff that that will help you along. You know, don't don't get stuck in a situation where you're trying to sell your stuff stuff to somebody or make a quick buck. Um, that's the biggest thing. If it's if it's a great idea, and uh, start small and start slow. You know, the internet is a beautiful thing. You can uh, you can get on get on the internet and get a website rolling, and and uh, the guerrilla marketing thing. We're you know, I can tell you from experience, we're doing it right now. It's not like we have a big marketing firm or anything behind us. We got we got Weston and and a couple guys on his team, and we've been doing a hell of a job and making an impression. And you just gotta you gotta believe in it, you know, and believe in your product and believe in the brand. But that's that's kind of what we've done with Redline, man. Just pedal to the metal and keep adding gas to the fire. So one more question, just to piggyback off of that a little bit just because you said um you know you don't have a big marketing team and you don't want to just make a quick buck um i know that it's important to you because you've said it here i've talked with weston and i know that it it's one of the things that it seems like it's like near and dear to like the core of the brand but it would have been really easy for you guys to just do as many of the people do and just go direct consumer. So cut out the dealers, you know, don't have to worry about the extra distribution and big orders and waiting for things to come in. Um, so why is it so important for Redline as a company to be in and support the dealers? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, obviously we're, we're dealer focused now we, we have map policies. So you have your MSRP and then, and then map where a dealer can go, drop down 10 to $20 an item and uh, they can play there. Uh, there will be some map holidays and stuff. Uh, we will have a website that will be direct to consumer, but it'll be all MSRP. So we will never live. We're never going to compete with our, our guys that are supporting us out there, um, which is, it, you know, there's, there's companies out there that they compete and sometimes they drop down and, and that's where you, you really, you can ruin your reputation out there in the industry. Uh, from my point of view and, and our investors' point of view, um, and just the team, you know, we have a ton of experience on this team. Is brands are built within these dealers. I mean, the pro shop guys, the guys behind the counters, are the ones who who really push push new brands and and grow brands. And if you do right by them, those guys are really gonna they're gonna support you. And that's that's what we're here to do. All the way to our our customer service, I can tell you, is that's that's our number one. Um, department right now that we focus on in, in our company is I think we're averaging two minute return uh, time on somebody who text messages us or DMs us or calls our phone. I can tell you right now, if you text message from here, a guy, Brian in Ohio is going to respond to you immediately saying, you know, give you an answer to an issue. And uh, that's, that's the biggest thing is that customer service aspect. I think a lot of these bigger conglomerates, they lose they lose that and it, it's all about the quick dollar and, and you know, how quickly or how much can we make or how much can we sell in? And once it's sold in, we forget about it and we're on to the next year. That's not us. If, we, if there's a problem, guys in a field or something breaks, we're going to get a site to them immediately. Uh, you know, we, we're not, we're not, we've had it, you know, had an issue here uh, in the last week where a guy had an issue with a, with a site light. It was next day to his house. 
yeah, he's not hunting anything right now where he needs a sight light, but that's just the kind of uh, customer service we want to have and portray to the consumer. And I think for us as a brand go forward, that's how we're going to grow. And, and at the dealer level, I mean, those guys are going to push, you know, and they are pushing for us, which is great. Uh, I, I think the archery accessory side of things has been kind of stale and stagnant over the last couple of years. It's, you got your players that are in there and they come out with one or two new things a year. And it's, here's our launch at ATA Our you know, what we're going to be doing is just continuously coming out with new product and seeding the market and getting it out there in front of people and just be passionate about what we're doing and being real. I think, uh, you're going to know the guys behind the company. That's the other thing is, uh, you know, myself, West and, uh, Jimmy, uh, some of these guys you're going to start to see social media wise will be, will be very accessible and be able to talk about stuff. And that's what people want. They want to, they want to know that they're buying something that they can relate to the person who's, who's actually selling it to them or who's building it instead of just some, some random company out there where it's just a name on a box that you're getting. Uh, so that's, that's kind of our company mantra and what we're doing. But like I said, we're a, uh, hunt focused company and, and it's a, uh, definitely for, for that guy who wants to live in that mid, mid, to uh, lower upper end price point is where we want to play and, and be at and, and just be affordable, but still be, give them the, the tools and, and actually the adjustments and stuff within the sites, quiver stabilizers that they can get from a higher end but at a, just a lower cost and an affordable cost. So. Awesome. And I think, you know, this podcast has done great and, you know, doing that introduction and, and, and kind of saying like, Hey man, these guys are, are, are living it. So for us being a, a, a bow hunting podcast, we always ask this at the end of each podcast, like what is your bow setup? My bow setup right yeah. now. So I'm shooting Well, it's last year's Evo, but I'm shooting a PSE, uh, and then I have our RL, actually, no, I switched it out. So I have a RL single, uh, RL one single pin carbon. I did have an RL three pin because I take it for elk, oh, whitetail and elk, but it, I don't have to switch it out. But I'm shooting a single pin right now. And then I put the RL uh, one three arrow quiver on there and a 10 inch stabilizer okay. for now. So uh, uh, that RL one stabilizer. So that's kind of my setup shooting 60 pounds because I got a bum shoulder. I get made fun of on social media a lot because I draw weird, but guess what? Jim Furyk swung the golf club a little weird too, but he still won tournaments. So, <laughs> and then what's your arrow and broadhead setup? Uh, so arrow right now, I'm shooting uh, victories, some VAPs, and uh, I got a 90 grain outsert on those broadhead. I am shooting. I'm like that guy we talked about earlier. Pretty much anything I can get 100 grain, I can put my hands <laughs> on. But uh, uh, usually, uh, shooting quick uh, Spitfire Max is what I grew up shooting. So I'll shoot those, but, uh, kind of, I like the new B3s to be honest with you. I think those things are badass. The, um, I forget the name of them. Their, their expandables are pretty sweet that they got going. So probably switch to them for whitetail. Then I got, uh, uh, for elk, I'll shoot kudos. Okay. All right. What's that total arrow weight? Ooh, I'm shoot. I'm, uh, right at, I think 490, 495 is what mine's at right now okay. got a 29 inch draw all right so nice nice yeah. well man i really appreciate having you on here and you know talking hunting and heritage and, yeah. and all the stuff uh where no, can fun. people 
follow along with you or Redline or, or any of that? Yeah, so so obviously we got the, the website, redlinebowhunting.com. Uh, check us out on Instagram and Facebook, Redline Bowhunting. We'll, we'll pop up there uh, pretty quick. And then honestly, get out to the dealers. Uh, we have our dealer locator on the website. So I think uh, they got about 270 of them up there right now that'll be getting the product here for this season. So check us out. We're in every lower 48 state. So you'll see us there. Uh, hopefully we can accommodate you, but if not, uh, the website is always an option and that direct consumer will probably launch uh, mid to late May. But, uh, but definitely get out to your dealer, get, get them to help you out with the sites and stuff. There's a lot more to, to archery sites and accessories with balancing and weight and stuff. It's not just a bolt on. Make sure you you have your local shop, uh, shop tech uh, check things out before you go out there and shoot in the field. So... <laughs> Well, awesome, Eric. I really appreciate it. Thanks for thanks for making time yeah. for me. <laughs> appreciate it, Adam. That was awesome, yeah. dude. I appreciate it, bud. Yeah.